All right, so Peter just wrote a couple of books, a couple of letters. Um, First Peter is really written to a group of Christians. They've been spread out through persecution, and he is really going to bring a message of what do we do about suffering? How do we deal with that? And that's really the theme of the book. And so we're just going to get a little glimpse, taste. I thought about trying to squeeze the whole book in this morning, and I probably had time to do that, but we're not. We're just going to do a few verses. But hopefully it'll wet your whistle. Hopefully you'll walk out of here going, man, I need to read the rest of that book because it talks about marriage, it talks about work, it talks about submission, it talks about, gives all kinds of things, and then all in the context of, man, how do we deal with suffering? And we get it. Maybe we don't understand persecution so much, but we understand what it means to be suffering, and we understand trials and all that. And so we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. So anyway... Um, Peter starts here, he says, uh, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, to elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says to the pilgrims, man, you guys have been spread out all over to the pilgrims. He'll say a little later in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, My beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Pilgrims, sojourners, some translations, aliens, strangers on earth. And this is our perspective. As we have followed the Lord, and then we take in, and we live in this world, and we live in America, and it's comfortable. And he says, really, what he, the Lord would really say, listen, you need to operate and function as strangers, as aliens, as, as temporary residents, that this is not your final destination. It's a, it's a trap. We get sucked into this idea that, no, 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 this, this is awesome. If you travel... I mean, you come back to America, no, America is an awesome place. I mean, it is a little bit in a sense, this is the promised land. I mean, you are just like, man, just go to the grocery store. You know, an entire aisle of cereal. I mean, I haven't been anywhere else that's got like that. That's unbelievable. Aisle full of shampoo. For why? Who knows why? It's just, it's crazy what we have here in America. And of course, we need to be like those in, in Deuteronomy when the Lord said, hey, you're going to go to the promised land. It's going to be great. You're not going to dig any wells. You're not going to build any houses. You're going to plant any vineyards. Be careful that you don't forget me. And I feel like we are, as Americans, we're just a little bit in that place. Man, we're blessed. And the Lord would say to us, man, don't forget me. Do not forget. Because when you come into that place, man, there's a danger. And so he says, listen, strangers, aliens, pilgrims, this is how we're supposed to live. It's difficult. It's difficult to do. I'm, I can tell you for sure. I get it. I mean, that's hard to do. It's easy to do when you're in another country. You go to another country where you don't speak the language. I mean, you're isolated. Conversations, you can't. You sit in a coffee shop, everybody's in a different language, and you don't, I mean, you know, wear different clothes, and you're like, oh, not excited about your, I remember I, I told this story before to you, but I was, Egypt, when I was a kid, my parents liked travel, so we went to Egypt, and, you know, they were these, the guys are wearing these things that look like dresses. I don't know what you, I can't remember what you call them, but they're, they're a dress, it's a dress, I mean, that's what it is. Pretty normal there, but I'm not like, hey, can I get one of those to bring back home to wear to middle school? Yeah, I don't want to dress like that. 
Actually, I ended up dressing like that while we were on this little cruise over there. And we had this cruise. Everybody's going to dress up sort of thing. So they gave us these things. So I've, I have two older brothers. And they gave me the, they here, you wear this one. Okay, it was red. I never forget. Wearing a dress. We're going to this party thing. It's weird. It's weird. And it's, but it's got this Arabic writing on it. So I finally go to one of my, the cruise guy, or the leader, tour guide. I'm like, what's this say? He says, it says Brenda. I'm like, I am not excited about this culture. We're eating weird food. I don't like the taste of the food. I don't understand the language. I make, man, I can't wait to get home. Just can't wait. You hear somebody speaking English when you're in a non-English speaking place and you don't speak the language, you're like, hey. When we go to England to visit my grandchildren, people are like, oh, you're American. They know it. They recognize it. How am I supposed to live in this life? I'm supposed to live like a stranger and alien. I go, I don't get caught up in this. Not get caught up in the world around me. Why? Because this is not my final destination. I'm looking for home. I'm looking for heaven. We're going to know what that looks like and sounds like and tastes like by spending time in the Word of God. So anyway, so he, this is who he's addressing. These people have been scattered. They were under persecution. We're just going to look at the first few verses here. And let me just read to you 3 through 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so the first thing he says to these guys, he says, man, you have been begotten again to a living hope, that you've been born again. And this is necessary. You need to be born again. You need salvation. You need to be born again. It does not matter what kind of family you grew up in, the heritage you have. Maybe you had a Christian home. Maybe you've been in church all of your life. You need to be born again. I would tell my children, we raised five kids, and I would tell men, this this is like the most dangerous place for you. You've been raised in a Christian home. It's so dangerous. Why? Because you may grow up thinking you got something, that you just inherited something. It's just part of who you are. And that is a great heritage. It is a great thing. And yet, they need to be born again. They need to sit back and go, no, no, I was actually rescued from darkness. To see that, to see that, I need to spend time in the Word. I need to see what the Lord says about who I really am before Him. That I am naked and exposed completely before Him. That Word of God comes and cuts and goes, oh, this explores my real heart. I need to be born again. He's going to say in, in a little later in this same chapter, he's going to say in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold 
from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. In verse 23, he says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. He says, all flesh is grass and the, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. And the grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. The word of God. Listen, you want a great investment? Two things that are going to last forever. People's souls and the word of God. The word of God's going to endure forever. I want to invest in the word of God. I want to know this book better than anything. And people's souls, how we're praying, what we're looking for. The word of God is so great that Peter would also come along in the beginning of chapter 2, and he says, listen, you, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is, this is a kind of man, craving. Man, I need this. I need the word of God. Man, I need to get into the word of God. And this is, I do this all the time. I start to feel like, man, I've been walking in the flesh. I'm falling to temptation. What do I need? I, this, I just told the young adults this where I have a Bible say at our house. And I said, I just I need to like immerse myself. I need to just go and spend some time in the word. I just need to read. And I would say, read until God speaks. I'm just going to sit here and continue to read and take in and go a little further and go a little longer and spend some time in the morning. Maybe the morning is not enough. Maybe I need to go in the afternoon or in the evening and just go, man, I just need to, I need to immerse myself because I can feel my heart getting pulled away. Crave the word of God, like newborn babes, it is that milk that you may grow thereby. So we need to be born again. The family, the culture, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done in life, no matter what the situations of our lives, you were born into wealth, great, you still need to be born again. You were born into a high academic family, you see academics as, man, that's the, that's the gold standard in our home. Man, you need to be born again. I've known people that sat in church for years, and eight years later, come down front and go, man, I, I need to be saved. You're like, what? <laughs> You've been here forever. I remember when I was a youngster and I was at camp and had been part of this group called Young Life and gone to camp, heard the gospel message, and it's about 12th grade, and I told my Young Life leader and, said, man, I, I know what's going to happen tonight. They're going to ask people to stand up and receive Christ, and I'm going to do that because I, I, that's what I need to do. He's like, what? <laughs> what? You? Really? Yeah, I, I don't have it. We need to be born again. So you've been begotten. You've been born again to a living hope. You have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you, the Lord. It is not this life. It's the next. He's saying there's an inheritance there. It won't perish, spoil, or fade. It's, it's, it's there for you, waiting for you. 
Nothing's going to make that. It's not going to deteriorate over time. You're not going to have to be taxed on this inheritance. Someone's not going to come along and steal it. It's not going to disappear before you get it. It is reserved in heaven for you. And he says, this is this, all right, so reserved in heaven for you. This is this living hope. You've been begotten again to this living hope. Hebrews 6.19 says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. This hope becomes an anchor for my soul. Colossians 1.5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which we heard before the word of truth, the gospel. This is the hope which has been laid up for you. 1 Peter 1.13, what we're reading. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where's my hope? Man, it's going to rest fully upon that grace. What are you hoping? My question for us, for me, for us, what are you hoping in and what are you hoping for? Let's explain this a little bit further. What I hope in often defines and gives value to what I'm hoping for. This is that perfect balance for sure once in our lives. Because that new baby is born to their mom, and mom is going to take care of that baby. Their parents are going to take care of that baby. When the baby gets hungry, the baby is fed. When the baby gets dirty, they're going to get a little bath. They're going to, they're, when their diaper is dirty, they're going to get changed. When they're cold, they're going to get wrapped up and tried to keep warm. And, that, and there's this balance. And, and this baby is hoping in mom or dad to take care of their every need. And it's, it's a perfect balance. It's working great. But then what happens? Grandpa comes over. Grandpa comes over and, and puts that ice cream cone right to that baby's lips. He goes, here, you want to try some ice cream? And the baby's like, whoa. And now, mom, what does mom have? Mom has organic smashed up peas. <laughs> There's ice cream. And now all of a sudden, these little babies start, they spit the, I, there's one thing I dislike more than anything. It's feeding a baby. I mean, just I have five children. Now I've got grandchildren. I'm just like anything but that. I just don't want to feed the little monster. I just, they just spit it out and they chuck stuff. And it's just like, I know what they really want. They want ice cream. Can't I just give them ice cream? Because that would be better. My daughter's like all organic, makes food. Just, uh, I go over to, they're in England. You know, I never forget this. I, and I, you know, they're all or, very healthy. Very. And I'm sitting there with my soda. And uh, so I go to the little, you know, three or four-year-old Logan you should try this. <laughs> and he takes a sip of that soda. It was, I wish I had it on, it would have been a viral video. I mean, he just, his eyes lit up. His whole body was like, whoa, that was awesome. I mean, he didn't say that because he's little, but every part of his, every fiber of his body was totally and dialed into that drink. And he was like, yes, sugar, this is great. And now all of a sudden it's like, mom, what does she have? tasteless peas. It's just like, it's just not. Now all of a sudden, there's this imbalance. And what I'm hoping in 
is not giving me some of those things that I'm hoping for. This can happen, of course, as you get older and, and you know, we, we get a job and we begin to work. And I'm starting that job and I'm trusting in the Lord. Man, I'm looking to the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for the job. It's so exciting. And, and you know, in my mind, man, I'm looking for that promotion. I'm excited about, you know, I, I think, yeah, that would be a great move. Lord, man, that's perfect. Got it all mapped out. Praying, promotion doesn't come. Weird. Pray a little longer. Seems like there's a glimmer of hope, but then you're like, no, that's just not happening. And what I'm hoping in, who I'm hoping in, man, the Lord, if you'll, and what I'm hoping for, all of a sudden doesn't work, doesn't balance out. And there's a danger here that all of a sudden that I might shift what I'm hoping in now. Man, the Lord didn't really come through. And I don't know that we'd have this conversation out loud with anybody. But all of a sudden, something goes on in my heart. And now all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, I don't really hope in the Lord. Man, I'm going to, man, it's my employer. Maybe it's that next job. Oh, no, 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 we've got a great relationship. Or maybe... More likely, maybe I just begin to hope in myself, well, I really need to do something. I need to take control of this situation. A really scary thing is that I get that job and I get that promotion. I make great money. And now all of a sudden I'm taking all that money and that retirement plan that, that my company has offered, I begin to dump money into that and they're matching. I'm putting all my money in that retirement. Retirement's going to be great. I'm going to put that money in the company stock because that stock is going through the roof, baby. We're going to make, yes, my future is solid. My job is secure. This is so exciting. Unless you worked for WorldCom. And in one day, WorldCom, you lost your job. And if your retirement fund, which was the case for many employees, was all tied up in their stock, and it went to nothing. And people killed themselves. Why? Because what they were hoping in and what they hoped for, all of a sudden is like non-existent. This happens in our relationships with each other, with marriage. You see this all the time. I remember sitting in the back of a wedding in the back row, and there You know, there was probably four or six couples. All had been married for more than 20 years. And this young couple is standing up there, and they had written their own vows, which I always find kind of humorous. I don't know why. It's just messed up, you know. And they're saying things like, you know, I'm going to laugh at all your jokes. Just like. And so everybody in the back row, we're just mocking them. Like, are you kidding me? Really? I mean, I just, the stuff they were saying was just not based in reality at all. (laughs) And you just listen to this and you're just like, well, you know, well, this is what happens sometimes. Sometimes now I begin, I get in this relationship and, you know, I ask my daughter, she's got a couple, a few kids now that are married and I ask my daughter, so, well, you know, what what do you see in this guy? What's, what's going on? He's perfect. I don't know how to respond to that. I'm just going to, yeah, well, I don't know him that. I guess I don't know him that well. I thought he was a guy. And, uh, (laughs) which means 
you know, that's not true. But I kind of left her in her little world to believe what she was. Oh, he's perfect. Okay. I get married then. I mean, I don't want to let him go. I haven't asked her if she has found out that that wasn't true. But she probably has, more than likely. But sometimes we look at that other person and we say, well, you're going to fulfill all my needs and I'll fulfill all your needs and this will be great. We're just going to live happily ever after. It's going to be awesome. And that this is the problem, right? Because, because when I begin to focus on that thing, that job or that marriage or that relationship, and I just put everything right there, what we find is, you know, that actually doesn't work. That's what we find. Now, the Lord comes along and says, listen, if you'll put me first, man, I'll give you everything else. Listen to a couple of these verses. Um, Matthew, you know these, Matthew six thirty three, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. Colossians 1, 16 through 18. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. Love that word. What does that mean? First. He wants to be first. Now, if we'll put him first, he says, man, if you'll seek me first, if you'll just keep me in first place, if you'll keep me as the focus of your life, whether it's work or marriage or relationships, the things we do, the hobbies, if you'll just keep me first, you get the rest. If you'll seek it, the rest comes with the package. As soon as I take him out and go, listen, I need to focus on this thing. This is going to be the thing that gives me life. I'm going to focus on my marriage. I want my marriage to be strong. I'm going to focus on my marriage. Yes. And I think sometimes we need to do those kinds of things, but it's not taking Jesus off the throne. He's still preeminent. If I can keep him first, then I get the rest. Oh, it's such a great thing. One of the girls asked me last night, so how, how is it that you guys have been married for so long? It's just like, don't you guys read the statistics? Like half of everybody's getting divorced. How is this possible? It's, it's the Lord has got to be preeminent. As my wife and I, 31 years, I guess now, and so what we've found out is like, you know, when it's not working between us, when it's not working on the horizontal plane, we realize there's something wrong with my vertical, my relationship with the Lord, her relationship. We're not really dialed in at all. And all of a sudden it creates havoc in our marriage. And we go, man, it's, it's got to be the Lord. We just got to keep him preeminent in all things, acknowledging him in all of our ways. So verse 5, 1 Peter 1, 5, who are kept by the power of God. So you've been begotten again to a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance and undefiled, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You are kept by the power of God through faith. Jude 24 says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We should just focus on that verse for a little bit. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Look at the attitude that the Lord has for us. Man, I want to present them. I can keep you, and then I'm going to present you, and it is my joy to do it. I'm excited about bringing you before the Father. I'm excited about bringing you into this place. We know that Jesus not only came to this earth, he died. He went to the cross for our behalf. He died, and he rose again, and he went to the Father. And he sits at the the right hand of the Father, and he lives to make intercession for us. That he's praying for us. And it's his joy to bring us. And he says, listen, uh, this is what he's going to do. He's going to keep you from stumbling. And I really, I stumble because I really become self-reliant. I begin to look at myself. I begin to take my hope off the Lord, and I find myself lost. I look to myself rather than I look to God. What began in the spirit, so you started something in the spirit. Are you going to really finish that off in the flesh? And this is where we start. We are using the marriage illustration again. We make these great vows. But then somewhere along the way, man, we just turn to the flesh. And we go, well, we're just going to finish this thing off. Don't say it out loud like that. But that's what we're doing. John 10, you've got to read the whole chapter. It's a great chapter, but Jesus is going to come along and say, I am the good shepherd, John 10, 14. And I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. He is a good shepherd. We met a young lady years ago who um, showed sheep. It was like 4-H or something, and, and we're from the city, so we don't have any clue about sheep showing, stuff like that. Farm animals, no idea. Anyway, she was showing sheep. She's winning. She's like, a, she gets the blue ribbon. She's, she is at the top of her game in the sheep show. Silly sheep show. Say that 10 times. That's a lot. But he's, she's doing this sheep thing. So when somehow it came up with what she does, what she goes through, how it processes, it works. In short, she says, this is what we do. Is I begin to wash, give the, the sheep a bath. Now, if you know sheep, I've, I've lived down the street from a bunch of sheep for a while. They're nasty little animals. I mean, they don't clean themselves. Most of the time, they're just rolling in the mud and stuff, and they're just, it's all nappy and caked on. And our neighbor, excuse me, our neighbor used to spray paint numbers on the sides of them to keep track of them, I think. So they're just, it's just like, man, this is ugly, ugly, nasty, gnarly, dirty, and apparently stupid. So another lady we knew, she had sheep, and she's like, they're the dumbest animals ever. And she would just go on and on and on about how stupid they are. And it's just like, okay, I'm never going to have <laughs> But she said, no, no, we, we wash that sheep. And while I'm washing this sheep, I, 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 I talk to it. And I begin to speak. And, and now this sheep begins to hear my voice and know what that sounds like. And I'm speaking comforting. I'm speaking quietly. I'm trying to just wash them and take care of them and get them all clean. They look beautiful when they're clean. And they clean up this sheep. Oh, yeah, this is great. And then I'm going to speak. And that sheep would just follow her around. And she could guide that sheep and do whatever she wanted. That sheep, man, she recognized her and her voice. And I thought, man, this is, this is what the Lord wants to do with us. 
right? Because he says that, you know, when he's in Ephesians chapter 5, and we know it, it is, we look at it like a five is like husbands and wives and stuff, and of course he tells us in there that it's not about that. It's about the church. But he says husbands, verse 25 of Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy without blemish. And this Bible, this is his word to us, to cleanse us, to renew us, to renew my mind fresh. His his word is going to help me to recognize his voice. As I get into the word of God, as I begin to study the word of God, you know, oftentimes we go, well, what am I going to get? Why do I need to do that? People are going to, you're going to say, well, this is what's going on in my life. People are going to say, man, how's the time in the word? How's it going? You go, I'm not in the word. They go, well, you need to read the Bible. I mean, that's going to be pretty common advice. You you need to be in the word. Well, uh, what else can I do? No, no, you just need to be in the word. Why? Because as I get into the word, not only does it build my faith, according to Romans, but that word, now I begin to hear his voice. I begin to recognize it. I'll be the discerner of what's good and bad. I'll be able to discern good from evil because I've heard his voice. And I begin to recognize his voice. I begin to recognize those things that he says to me. So he's going to cleanse us. He's a good shepherd, and he's doing this. And this is what Peter's really kind of saying the same thing. Man, we love it, crave it like a newborn baby. Then First Peter 1, back to our text here, in verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice. All of these things that we probably, hey, in this you greatly, I'd love to just stop right there. Wouldn't it be great? I imagine there's some place we're just going to stop right there. We're not going to read any further. In this we greatly rejoice. This is a nice, happy message. We're all going to go home and be exciting. Yes, happy. We're rejoicing the fact that we've been saved, we've been gotten into a new hope, we have an inheritance, not going to perish, but fade. It's so wonderful, so nice. But he keeps talking. In this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why do we need an anchor? This is why we need an anchor. Why? Because of the storms of life. Storms of life are going to come. James is going to talk about this, right? Consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Various trials. Consider it joy. We need to understand, well, what do I do with suffering? What do I do with the trials? How do I balance all of this? Because what I'm hoping, who I'm hoping in and what I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for a trial-free life. That's kind of what I'm, I really want is trial-free. No problems. And nobody in here is going to think that that's a possibility if you've lived a year, <laughs> right? I mean, you don't, you don't just have to over live very long to realize that, no, 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 actually, it doesn't seem to work that way. Whether you're serving the Lord, life has got some hard roads.
2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. Great. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And affliction comes into our lives and it creates a hunger, hopefully creates a hunger for eternity. Affliction comes in to remind me that this world actually is not my home and this is not what I'm hoping in. Galatians 2.20, this is a memory verse, you know this. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why would it be considered pure joy? Because trials eliminate self and magnify the Lord. Trials come in as much as I dislike trials, but they do have this ability to separate me from the world that I'm living in. To sit back and go, no, no, this is not it. Oh, yeah, this is not it. Because especially as we live in America, life is good. Life can be very comfortable. But it is this road of glory, this weight of glory, exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Colossians 1.20 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery of the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He says it's not comparison. There's no comparison between the two. This, the glory that's going to be revealed, there's no comparison. And the trouble is, I'm always trying to compare. I'm trying to sit back and say, no, 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 this isn't worth it. This is too hard. This is too difficult. They aren't going through this. Why do I have to walk down this road? And we've been through things. We understand this. We've gone through trials. And yet you watch some people go through trials and they, they, they go through that trial and they get in the midst of that or on the other side of that and they go, no, 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 I, I met the Lord in the midst of all that. Some people will go through things and you've heard the testimonies that they sit back and they say, man, I, I actually wouldn't trade it. Not that I would wish it on my enemy, but man, the Lord met me in the middle of that time and I grew closer to the Lord. And that's the cherishing moment that they go, oh, no, no, actually, no, we're better. Yeah, that was good. I knew a young man who wife divorced him to leave him or somebody else. And, and I really don't think there was any really fault of his own. Uh, and as he walked through that process, you know, he, he found the Lord. He went through the trial of his life. And you know what? The Lord showed up. And when he looks back on it, his testimony he goes, you know, I was really just a marginal Christian. And then this thing came into my life, and it forced the issue. 
Who do I serve? It forced me to answer the question of, am I going to walk with the Lord? Because the testing of our faith is only the testing. It's only a test if I look at it and go, man, I don't see the Lord at all. Where is, this is the test. Where's the Lord? You and I have been through those kind of things. I've been through those kind of things where I slip back and go, now what? This stinks. And I go, I wouldn't anybody go through this. I mean, I drove off the side of a mountain a few years ago and broke my leg and spent some time in the hospital and got things and, I wouldn't wish that. It was an awful experience. Terrible. I have such sympathy for people in the hospital. It's like, it's a terrible place. It's just like you're a science experiment in that place. I mean, it's just like terrible. Terrible. But man, you know, the Lord shows up. And all of a sudden, he goes, no, I can be with you in this moment, in this pain. I can, I'm going to be with you. And now we, we long and we taste not for this life. Well, I mean, we want it to be better. But we also go, man, I can't wait for heaven. Oh, man, I can't wait for heaven. I'm looking forward to the day. He says, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, streets, gold. So gold is pavement. Everything opposite, we like gold. I gold, I gold. And, and the Lord comes along and goes, it's, it's asphalt. Be like the guy on the television going, buy asphalt. You'd be like, why? That's dumb. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's sort of what God is trying to say. It's, it's kind of dumb. It's, just, it's not worthy of comparison. Your life is not worthy to compare. Because the glory, how do I know what the glory is? How do I know what that's like? What is that going to taste like? What's it going to look like? I need to know him. I need to know this book. I need to de- devour this. I need to hunger for it. I need to thirst to be, to know, to hear from him. So I have a few final questions. One, have you been born again? Maybe you've sat in church most of your life and you go, yeah, I don't know. really don't know. Have you been born again? Do you know the Lord? You need to be born again. If you find yourself in that situation, just, I'm assuming most of us know the Lord. It's a church. We're here. So just talk to somebody near you. Go, man, I don't know the Lord. What's this all about? And, and keep asking people. They go, I don't know. You've got to go to somebody different. <laughs> just, just keep moving. It'll be all right. Somebody here can bring you to that place. The next question I would have is, you know, what am I hoping in? These are questions I ask. Well, what am I hoping in? What am I really hoping in? What do I hope in? What am I hoping for? And do they match? And when they don't match, how do I deal with that? Am I really looking to the Lord? Man, I've got to re-ratchet myself often. Because I get, I get focused on other stuff. I go, no, no, this is the, this is the thing. This is where I'm. And I keep the Lord in a preeminent place in my life. Is he that for you? Is he number one? And I would just say, you know, not that it's okay, but it's okay. Because you know what? You can come back to him. And you, I can go, Lord, forgive me, man. I've just got you off center. Forgive me. Bring me into that relationship again. That is the perfect Christian life. The perfect Christian life is the Christian who says, you know what? I need forgiveness. I need grace. 
I need to come back to him. He always offers that. Come back to me. Come back into relationship. Walk with me. Hear my voice. And then, of course, the glory road of death to self. And sometimes as we know what's happening, we know the trials, sometimes we run away from what the Lord is really trying to do. And I need to be careful that I allow the Lord to do what he's trying to do. And so as I walk into things that I go, you know, this is not comfortable, or this is a trial, and and as soon as I begin to recognize that, because sometimes I don't recognize it right away, I have to sit back and ask myself the other question is, what is the Lord trying to do? What is he trying to say? Is he trying to speak into my life a different way now? What's going on, Lord? And we just that's just one of those ways that I keep the Lord at the top. Because he is worthy. And he wants to answer those questions, those deeper things of life. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we do praise you. We thank you. You're so good to us. You love us. You're a good shepherd. Help us, Lord, to see you and know you better. Help us to walk with you in a new and fresh way today. Help us to turn our lives over to you, new and afresh. Convict us, Lord. If there's things, if I if I misfocused, help me to refocus. Show me, Lord, what you'd have for me today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.